Welcome to Curious Church Podcast. We're super happy to be back. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I know we're all going to say this, but I'm I'm very excited to be recording again. It's been a little while. Yeah, and sorry about the last one. It was really messed up. That was <laughs> that was Aaron's fault. It wasn't that bad, guys. Yeah, it was a little weird. You know, I had a listener come up to me and say, "I'm so glad you put it out anyway, even though it was had it was fine." It was fine. That's what we strive for here at Curious Church Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Is fine. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, before we get too far along, I'd like to introduce our very special guest today. Her name is Kelly Powers. She's the director of student care at William Jessup. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks for having Woo! me. We're I've been a big, a- big fan of this podcast. Let so. me just let me just say this though. Let me just let me just. You know, tell the truth right now. Uh-oh. Okay. So every week we say, only leave us five stars. Oh! Okay. Five stars and or don't bother. every once in a while bother. we'll reference this person who left us four stars. Oh, uh-oh. That uh, person was Kelly Powers. Wow. Oh. Kelly, justify thyself. Are we trying? Are we trying to earn an extra star by having admit, her on? I admit, okay, okay, I am the four star She's the four star Wow, I did not. And as I've always, I've, as I've always said, I think you guys are doing a great job. But I want to leave you hungry to, you know, keep keep growing and improving. If I gave you five stars, then you may you may just rest on that and and never strive. So, so I feel like I'm okay, so let me, I'm let motivating me just, you. Let me just ask around the room: How did that four star actually make you feel? Did it inspire you to try harder? Or did it make you feel defeated? Well, obviously okay. not, because we clearly just aspired to fine. <laughs> So, <laughs> with our publishing, kind of made me want to give up. I mean, Aww. we did talk about giving up after that four star. We did reading. We're like, is it worth it? Yeah. So yeah, how are we ever supposed to be fam- world famous? Oh, a hard day with yeah. a four star review. Mm. Yeah. But I actually appreciate the honesty. Yeah, I didn't though. Yeah, no, I know you didn't. <laughs> I, I recognize because here's the thing: if you go to an Amazon book review and it's all five stars. You get a little suspicious. You do yeah. get that's true. Get a little yeah. suspicious, right? You look. You, know? you want to look for you're, discerning. Yeah, feedback. you're honest feedback. You're wondering honest if these are all you know just robots that but someone do we bought. Really want honest feedback? Well, I'm just saying <laughs> the the visual for someone just visiting our reviews is now. Oh, these are real people reviewing, not some made up folks right, paid. Or, or just yeah. You just not got your spouses. People. I did, by the way, family friends to give reviews. This is authentic, I genuine. Did, I think, by the way, on our on our thing, whatever. I'm the first reviewer. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Right? And I gave us, I gave us, I gave myself a five star. You did, and well, said, "This yeah. is amazing. This podcast is something special." This is kind of shrewd of us to have Kelly on because mm. now she's going to go back. Now that she's been on the show, she'll be like, "Hmm, I can't. This has got to be five now. <laughs> I can get myself four yeah, stars, or will it go down?" Oh. Whoa! Okay. Such a bad experience. <laughs> we should have each guest give us a review on their guest experience. Yeah. And I'm excited to jump in right now and say I've got a surprise segment. Okay, okay, let's do this. Because I, and it's related a little bit to some feedback. Well, now it's not a surprise though. <laughs> well, it was a surprise. You didn't know it was coming. Whoa. Okay, that's why it's a surprise. That's true. Okay. Yeah, you, I surprised you with the fact that there is a surprise segment. I feel surprised. This is some feedback that I received. Wait, are you surprising us now? 
this whole thing is it's going to be a perpetual surprise plan on every moment being surprised okay okay you, you're yeah. going to think the surprise is over you know what we're doing and then there's going to be another layer yeah. of surprise okay well now you ruin that surprise i'll tell you all the surprises as your surprise <laughs> okay, great. okay surprise number one we got feedback always a surprise <laughs> okay <laughs> so thank you in this case surprise number two feedback came from rachel my wife who knows Curious Church Podcast pretty well. She's listened, I think, to all the episodes. Yeah. And knows that, surprise number three, the kind of feedback we love is Apple Talk-related feedback. <gasps> is Apple Talk back? Apple Talk is back. Yeah! <laughs> Apple's We haven't done Apple Talk in quite a while. Well, let me tell you, we didn't have reason to, but now we do. Because Rachel sent me an article. I'm just going to read the first line and let it blow your minds. Okay. Five types of Apple, once thought to be extinct, have been rediscovered in northern Idaho and eastern Washington. Did they just dig up apple bones? They dug up some old rotten some apple cores. Let me read the second DNA uh, sequence. Then. Let me read the second line for the next level of surprise. The Lewiston Tribune newspaper reported Monday. Oh, that's a good paper. That quote Apple detective. There's another surprise that there are Apple detectives. David Benscoder <laughs> located the trees growing near a butte in the rolling hills of the vast Palouse agricultural er- area. He worked with apple experts. That's us. At the Temperate Orchard Conservancy <laughs> in Oregon, he didn't come to us, and Fedco Seeds in Maine, to positively identify the apple types. They were compared to written descriptions from old books and antique watercolor paintings. So no DNA analysis. Apparently, they're comparing these to, like, ancient reports of apples and realizing <laughs> this is a new kind. The article goes on. This is interesting. So here's the names of these apples. The Shackelford, the Saxon Priest, the Kitageski. <laughs> The Ewalt and the McAfee. Oh. So there you go. Five kinds that were previously thought to be extinct. This is an amazing number. How many different apple varieties do you think were in North America versus are today? Ten. Ten types? I just read five. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) twelve? That's seven. There's a gap of seven there. Okay, okay. Okay, let me, let, me, let me re-guess. Okay. Hang on, what is the question? I'm guessing. Now, how, okay, many, how many apple varieties are thought to have originated in North America versus how many are there out there today? That okay, think? one million. One million, okay. <laughs> Going high. Is that a little high? Uh, one million and one. <laughs> Price is right style. Price is right. Right. Don't try to top me. Okay, I would guess okay I'm going to say 000. that we started with like... 20 varieties, but we're up to 40. Okay. I think we're going up. In okay, varieties. interesting. Cross the Okay, cross let me just say this though. If, if, if I could have an apple variety that would be extinct, that would choose Red Delicious. <laughs> we know. It's so we, we, we know. know. Okay, here's the fifth, sur- here's <laughs> the the fifth surprise. The, 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 the skin is just a little too thick, the color is a little off. There's no real taste to There's it. There's no real taste. Yeah. The shape is not good. But here's the truth. If <laughs> it went extinct, if it went instinct, and then, what was his name? David Benscoder then found a Red Delicious somewhere else, like a thousand years cool. from now, I would be kind of cool. pumped. I would be pretty Until excited. Until they tasted it. Yeah, well, that's, that's another Who matter. do you think finances Apple investigators? Like, is this a public service? Is I, this taxpayer I think money? My guess is it's a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> 
David went said, I need to find the extinct I apples. That. I would fund that. 25? 25 yeah. bucks? Yeah, 25 bucks, you get, a, you get a bite. They just send you a bite of one of these varieties. <laughs> oh, that'd be kind of cool, find. actually. Yeah. Like a sampler. Uh-huh. Right. Okay, here's the actual number. Surprise number five, which isn't really a surprise. Never actually do a guessing game because that always backfires. Because the numbers were, originally, they think 17,000 apple varieties well, originated in North, America. in North America. Okay. And today... Ben Scoder, our Apple detective, says only <laughs> detective about 4,000. Yeah, sorry. Detective Ben Scoder oh, really? says only about 4,000 exist, which is still a lot of apple varieties, but not as many as 17,000. So, they find, so did wow. they find the trees from these extinct apples? They must have. That's how they grow. Yes. Right? So I think the idea... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hold on. on so I think the idea You're is like from the sky. these might have been just like a tree that was in someone's backyard and like over time got forgotten. No one was, and now like they've gone and they found kind of like these like in cro- outcroppings, yeah, of these particular apples that match kind of older descriptions. Wow. This well, is which a, one was the original tree? Well, well, Genesis tells was, us. Yeah. Well, what, but what variety <laughs> I think was it? Was it was a grapefruit tree. What though? variety oh. was it? Uh, well, there's some other there's some other types that he thinks Ben Scudder thinks he's found some other ones. I like to think that the one in the garden was probably a Flushing Spitzenberg. That's one of the varieties. Uh, or a Bogdanoff glass. That also sounded pretty cool. Anyway. There you go. But the real thing is, how did these things taste? There's a reason why there were 17,000 and now there's only 4,000. Yeah. Because they were probably 13,000 of those were junk. They were Red Delicious 1, Red Delicious 2, <laughs> yeah, probably. Red Delicious 3. That's why they died off. It was like natural selection. It was like Maybe people so. didn't like them. So the trees died and no one replanted them. I mean, I'm not necessarily advocating for those 13,000. I, I just think are, it's pretty though, amazing. I think you are advocating and I'm, for them. I'm a big, I'm a big Ben Scoder supporter, <laughs> Detective Ben Scoder. He's, he's doing the Lord's work in our world. So I think you are advocating. You don't have to be defensive about it. <laughs> just own it. You. All right, you know what? You're right. I think we should all be trying those 13,000 varieties that are now extinct. And I'm grateful to David that he's going and finding them so that maybe one day I can. Yeah, Inspector and I would David. think if there was a... Special if you had to choose David. between bringing back dinosaurs, you know, DNA, whatever, and bringing back apples, I think you would choose apples, which would be really sad. Have you, ever, have <laughs> you seen just, Jurassic Park? It's a this, far wiser just, move to bring back apples let me just than dinosaurs. This, let me just create this choice. You bring back dinosaurs or you bring back apples? I think you should, if you've ever watched <laughs> Jurassic Park, which shows what happens when you bring back dinosaurs, you should bring back apples. Yeah. It's the well, responsible I think that's the wrong move. choice, actually. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're the kind of people who get people killed on an island by velociraptors. <laughs> all right, we're going to do a segment called My Two Cents, where we've all put various topics into a container. We'll draw one out. Whoever draws it out is the one who gives their two cents on it. And then we can chime in. The other people can chime in. With their two cents, if it's appropriate. It might get cut out. <laughs> I think we should make this... I, should, I think we should uh, also make this competitive. Okay. At the end, oh. we vote on who had the best two cents. Okay, here we go. Okay, the first one is... Uh, is on this piece of paper, it's written, Good posture. <laughs> who wrote that? <laughs> me <laughs> anyways uh what do i think about it my two cents uh i wish i had better posture actually because it always looks um dignified and it looks like 
like you're confident. But I'm always hunched over like Quasimodo, <laughs> like basically eating food. Like when I eat food, I'm like eating it off the table instead of bringing the food up to my mouth with a fork. Oh, that's wow. That's a really gross <laughs> image. <laughs> I'm like so hunched over. I could like lick the food off the plate. See? You make it competitive, you take it to another level. Okay, yeah, this is a, <laughs> all right. <laughs> how do we how do we judge who wins this thing? Uh, I it's at win. the end. It's, okay, I want to win. I want to win. I want to win. Okay. okay. All right. Next one. All right. Uh, you learn that the Earth will be destroyed by a comet in 24 hours. What do you do? Uh, that's a great question. I head up to meet with David Benscoder, who's currently in Idaho and Eastern Washington, to taste. Those five apples <laughs> that they've just hey, discovered were not See you, Rachel. Yes. Rachel yeah. will come with me. She sent me that article. Okay, oh. but you didn't say that, though. Okay, well, because that's kind of interesting, I, right? That's kind of Ra- interesting that Rachel and I put a <laughs> beautiful first-class charter flight on our credit card because the meteor's about to hit the Earth anyway. Yeah, the Earth is being destroyed. I just had to check that. We go up there, get a hold of David Benscoder, say, take me to these apples, take a bite. Yeah, go out with the blaze. Kind of fitting to you know the beginning in the garden. They take a bite, and that's then right. the end, the oh, last moment, the world ends. The world you ends. and Rachel. Whoa, another sinful bite, Matt. Yeah. This is re- <laughs> you know what this podcast one, is really five stars. One more, <laughs> one more act of rebellion, it's Matt. Up there. Right it's before up the there. end. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Here's Aaron. Okay, mine is uh, <laughs> pets in strollers or harnesses. <laughs> <laughs> you know you love it. Don't hide it. You know, I find pets, I find dogs all over the place now. What's up with that? Do you know, like, they're in grocery stores, and there's, like, if you go to Home Depot, they're walking around on yeah. leashes. Yeah, or when you're it's eating spaghetti. to me. You're in, sp- you're in a restaurant, you're having spaghetti, there's a dog in there. <laughs> I think that's called the movie Lady in the Tram. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this really happened to me. And there's always these oh, two did. dogs, yeah. and they're eating spaghetti, and they're no, no, like, <laughs> sucking it, the same noodle together. And they're, they're nudging no, a, a little meatball the dogs, No, no, I was eating spaghetti, and there was a dog, and I was afraid that the dog hair would get in my spaghetti sauce. Oh. Well, dogs should not be in... I'm a dog lover, but I don't think they should be in all these places. I think dogs should mm. stay at home most of the time. Okay, you're a, you you're pressing animals. I guess, but okay. dogs in restaurants is no good. Listener, just keep in mind, you cannot take Sam's constant interruptions <laughs> as a consideration of whose two cents you would vote for. Oh, I forgot we were competing. <laughs> oh, by yeah. the way, the thing oh. said dogs in strollers, I not know. dogs all in right, restaurants. Right. So dogs in strollers, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Although I think dogs like to exercise. So if your dog is infirmed or old, maybe that's a good place for it. But if not, let the dog run. I just find it surprising you see a stroller looks like it's a baby stroller and I go to be like, oh, what a cute baby and see this like yeah. little fluffy dog and it always just Here's the throws good news. me off well, a here's little the good bit. News. If this person though is the kind of person who keeps their dog in their stroller, you could probably still just say, oh, what a cute baby and like they would welcome that comment. Oh, because that's their baby. Because that's, their, that's baby. their baby. So they'd yeah. be like, oh True. yeah, thank you for understanding my neuroses. Yeah. 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 But you can't, turn, you can't turn that around though. You what a cute dog. <laughs> like if there's a real baby in there, you can't say, what a cute, what a cute dog. You can't just, turn that around. Or maybe just say, oh, no. how cute. Yeah, just oh, how, how cute. cute. Oh, but the implication is dog. So we're going to have a conversation now with Kelly Powers. And um, when we were talking about what, what to, uh, to kind of bring to the table... Kelly, you mentioned this idea of emotionally uh, healthy spirituality, which I thought was very interesting. So just 
tell us a little bit about why that appeals to you or why, you know, that that would be a great topic to talk about. Yeah, it is a great question to consider. Does our emotional life and our spirituality, are they connected? Uh, are they relevant to each other? Does it matter to to think about the two together? Um, and I certainly think, um, as we're currently in a series talking about vices, it's talking about our interior world, right? It's talking about some of these maybe interior motivations or feelings or experiences and then the outward expression when it's talking about envy or anger or lust. Um, so I'm passionate about it. My, you know, I've studied counseling, I've studied spiritual formation, and I, and I think the two do relate. I think we do need to talk about our spiritual maturity connected with our emotional maturity. I think there's a place and a need for that in our discipleship models, in the way that uh, we, we practice community, uh, the way we um, really experience church with one another. What does an emotionally mature person look like? I like that um, phrase. I never really thought about that. <laughs> what? Why are you laughing? <laughs> I was just wondering. Would you? How would can you I say, be? Would you? Would you define? Would you say Aaron is an emotionally <laughs> healthy, <laughs> mature adult? <laughs> there might not be a way to tell like, well, if someone else is emotionally mature. Maybe I don't know. Well, we often talk. I mean, Kelly, you can answer this just in a sec. But <clears throat> this idea of like we talk about growing spiritually. But rarely do you hear in church this idea of growing emotionally, or what does it what does it mean to be emotionally mature? Mm-hmm. And um, and I think maybe you can address this too. That I think the church kind of has mixed messages about human emotions, mm-hmm. where we're often told to to really distrust our feelings. Yeah, you know that we have them, but really we live a life of faith, not feelings. And so then our feelings kind of take us on all these, like, it takes, our feelings take us down these paths that our faith, you know, where a lot of Christians would say, you know, don't trust that. Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust what your feelings are telling you. Instead, live by faith. And that's really not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about denying our feelings or mistrusting our feelings, but, but rather learning how to be what, emotionally stable, emotionally mature? Yeah, I think there can be a misinterpretation of scripture passages, right, where it says, you know, deny yourself and take up my cross. So I think there can be a, a misinterpretation of that to say, I need to deny everything about me, my whole human experience. Um, even, and we say this a lot here at Granite Springs, but throughout scripture, right, the number of references of do not fear, I think is interpreted saying, like, don't feel that. Whereas I think it's more so uh, not a denial of having that emotion. It's more of then what is the outward expression of that? We may feel fear. Um, that's okay to acknowledge that, uh, to recognize that, to honor that. But then what do you do with that fear? Will that then shape you and impact the way you then embody that? Will that affect your behaviors? Will that affect your relationships? That's where I think more is the call to mature to discern, to practice wisdom when it comes to our emotional life, when it comes to that interior life. So I think there is some uh, confusion of uh, when it comes to emotions and feelings, that sense of do we trust them, do we give in to them, do we deny them. Um, But that's not necessarily the mark of being an emotionally healthy or emotionally mature person. I don't think that's the, the invitation that God is giving us when we look at really what Scripture is 
you know, showing us. Here's maybe what the, what angels could have said to the shepherds is, you are feeling afraid. Um, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's something better around the corner. Well, I would say too, it's like to feel fear or to feel anxiety is just part of being human. Like it's part of the human experience that we feel what might be labeled as maybe bad emotions or negative emotions. They're not. They just are. So that's the first thing I think, and maybe I'm wrong, so correct me, but (laughs) there are no such thing as bad emotions. They just are. We feel afraid. But I think what the angels are telling, and the Bible so often says, do not be afraid, is don't live out of that fear. Right, right. Right? Don't let the fear control or dictate how you're going to live in the world. Right. Yeah, that's, I think, the those would be maybe the markers of if you are unhealthy, right, in your emotional maturity. If that one, if you are constantly under the weight of certain emotions, if you on a daily basis are feeling anger, if that is a constant emotion, then that would be an indicator that maybe, right, there's there's some need for, for caring and tending to what's going on in your life, that there may be some constant triggers or stressors that are evoking that emotion. So I think, you know, that would be a sign of some unhealth. Are you experiencing a consistent, what would be labeled a negative um, emotion? The other indication is how are you living out that emotion? Because the emotion is just the thought. It's the interior experience that you're feeling. It's not the action. Mm-hmm. It can motivate the action, right? I feel fear, but the issue is then what do I do with that fear, right? Mm-hmm. How does that change my choices, my behaviors? How does that change the way I relate and interact with people? That's, I think, again, that would be the indication that there is unhealth mm-hmm. of how do you, what do you do with that emotion? Um, because it's not scripture. I mean, there's, there's, you know, references to even God expressing emotions. So I think it's an interesting question. We say, what are the bad emotions? I, I don't know if that's the right labeling to say that there's bad emotions. I think it's what, mo- what how it motivates us, um, what those emotions do, what is the action it may motivate us to partake in. Mm-hmm. That maybe is where there's the bad or good or healthy mm-hmm. or unhealthy. So oh, would, Oh, I was just going to ask, so particularly jumping off your first point that you said where, you know, you might be unhealthy if you're sort of under the weight of this, is an emotionally healthy or mature person then experiencing those things less? So, like, I'm wondering when we talk about do not be afraid, does an emotionally healthy or spiritually, emotionally healthily spiritual person, <laughs> what all these words kind of together, is that person um, not just experiencing fear and responding well to it but also are they actually experiencing it less or does it does this make sense um or is that something else is that kind of another layer that's not necessarily emotional maturity yeah no i think that can be connected to it that um when you become emotionally mature right part of that is you're learning skills or tools to know how to process um, those initial emotions. So while you may initially have been a very uh, fearful person and that was shaping then your behaviors, your relationships, as you mature, right, you learn to recognize it so that the emotion doesn't own you. We, we talk a lot about like knowing your story and naming your story because if you don't name and know your story, and I would say this applies to emotions, your emotions can kind of like take charge. They can take control and you become more reactive. Mm -hmm. 
an emotionally mature person is going to um, recognize their emotions. So they're not so reactive, but they can be responsive, Mm -hmm. right? To be able to acknowledge, okay, I'm feeling scared right now. I'm feeling fearful about this situation. But that awareness then allows them to then make some different choices. Mm -hmm. Depending on someone's circumstances, I can't say that like they're not going to experience those emotions at all. But I think the way that the emotions may rule their lives versus them feeling like they have some agency Mm. um, over their interior world. I think that could be the shift and change. Now, the other thing is that emotionally mature person will start making some choices in their lives, maybe making choices about their relationships. Maybe those relationships are the trigger and the source of some of those negative emotions. Mm. Maybe you're in unhealthy relationships, or maybe you're in an environment, whether it's your job or your living situation, that is not conducive to healthy living. So an emotionally mature person will have the wisdom to start making some changes mm-hmm. so that even like those settings, those circumstances will continue to promote maybe more of the positive mm-hmm. emotions that we're seeking. It's like that phrase that sometimes it's like, um, instead of having our, our emotions, our emotions have us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? It's like we feel out of control and yeah. our emotions really take front and center stage. Mm-hmm. And then, th- and then we're reacting more as opposed to appropriate responding. And I think the naming piece that you're talking about is so important. I, just speaking for myself, uh, recently uh, kind of processed some personality stuff, talking a lot with Rachel, using the Enneagram, if people are familiar with that, realized that kind of my type, uh, like the core emotion uh, that my type experiences is, ang- is anger. And I had then an experience Calm of down, anger Matt. after Calm that. Sh- I'm <laughs> getting so mad right Calm now. Down. But actually what I realized is uh, how physical anger is for me and has been my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so, but once I knew I'm inclined to anger, when I had that experience, it was kind of revelatory because it was like, oh, this isn't just me shutting down. This is actually me getting very angry and my body not knowing what to do mm-hmm. with it. And suddenly I actually had language to be able to say like, oh, this is what's happening. And this is what has happened at these various points in my, you know, in my experience. And now I know, now I know how I should be responding to that, you know, not, uh, not necessarily engaging with that, but, you know, taking steps back. And it's been really helpful. So I think that part about just naming so that these emotions don't own us is a critical piece of that. Yeah. I mean... <clears throat> We're kind of rifting off a lot of. There's various mm-hmm. books written about this. There's yeah. one. There's a book called "Emotionally Healthy Spirituality," mm-hmm. written by Peter Scazzaro, I think his name is. Anyways, but one of his reasons, and we were talking about this Kelly a little bit earlier, where one of the reasons for writing the book, and this is, is connecting to what Matt just said, was he saw a flaw in discipleship models that didn't take into account your inner life mm-hmm. or your emotional life. Like mm-hmm. how, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus in terms of your emotional expression and your feelings? Like how does our discipleship touch our inner life? It's not just, you know, serving or doing, doing these outward things, mm-hmm. but what does it mean to be transformed into the image of Christ emotionally? And yeah. that's what Matt's talking about, growing in that. And part of that is naming, well, noticing, naming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he highlighted in the book that, you know, there's people who are become disillusioned with the church or become complacent um, in the church or sometimes even walk away from the church um, due to maybe the, the 
the lack of investment in their interior life. They they do all the spiritual practices. They show up on Sunday. They you know sing the worship songs. Um, they serve all those type of things. But then they may start to feel dissatisfied, realizing I'm I'm not actually experiencing any internal like transformation. I don't actually feel like I'm I'm changing or my relationships or my circumstances, the way I respond to things. I don't I'm not actually like experiencing that. Or what I've seen is people then may face an actual crisis in their life where there is a surge of emotions, um, there's grief, there's loss, there's trauma, and all of a sudden they experience a disconnect with their spiritual life and their interior life, and that crisis could cause them to walk, even walk away from their faith. So uh, particularly in his book, he's making a call for, for there to be a shift in our discipleship models to take into account that we, we need to tend to our emotional um, growth, our emotional maturity. Um, and there's steps towards that. And I like Matt highlighted one of those. I think one of those is knowing yourself, um, knowing your story, knowing your narrative, knowing your temperament. So that's one of the benefits, I think, of a lot of personality tests, um, you know, books out there. Another great book uh, that I love is called The Gift of Being You. Um, by David, I believe it's David Brenner. Um, but knowing like what is your maybe particular disposition, personality, temperament, because we each maybe have a certain bent towards certain emotional reactions. Uh, some people may experience anger or anxiety or fear. And to know yourself again, right, that's gaining some insight, therefore leading you towards wisdom to know how to process um, your emotions when they do come up um, so they don't hijack your life. Um, people can talk about, right, the, and that's part of the fear and distrust with our emotions. When we give them space, we feel a little bit hijacked by them and there's chaos and we're not comfortable with that. We don't want to live in that existence. Um, so people sometimes want to avoid it because it doesn't feel comfortable, right? But we gotta we gotta shift our approach to say no. You need to face them. You need to be mindful of them and recognize them, um, because they won't hijack you. You'll have a familiarity with them, right? You have a familiarity now that anger tends to be maybe your your go to posture. Well, now it's not going to be so surprising to you when it happens. Right. You know what happens internally. You know how your body responds, and then you can adjust the way that you respond to it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you, you identified, so that's one area to, gr to grow in this, mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, our relationship to ourselves and yeah. our emotional inner lives, just become more knowledgeable and mm -hmm. even more curious about our emotional states and yeah. how we process emotions, what emotions feel like in our body, and then trying to name them because that can be difficult. But then you also identify the area of community. Mm -hmm. And then a third one, which is our relationship with God. So yes. how... So so talk about first the community one. Yeah, so I think as we start to get to know ourselves, our know our particular narrative, our our wounds, uh, our joys, our dispositions, um, th I think the next uh, call, the invitation, is then to practice that vulnerability in community, to bring our stories and to bring ourselves into you know a larger you know context of you know a small group or interpersonal relationships. Um, and to be experiencing and practicing a community that is going to be vulnerable, that's going to be authentic, that it'd be a place where there can be confession, accountability, and then compassion and support. Um, so that would be a marker of being an emotionally mature person. Do you have those spaces? Do you have those community spaces? Are you willing to practice it? And are you receiving that? Mm -hmm. So that would be another marker of emotional Yeah, the question maturity. right there is like, in what spaces in connection to others? am I emotionally 
present or mm-hmm. vulnerable or emotionally honest? Do yes. I have, not just with myself, not just with God, but with my friends or family, or is there a small group that I'm a part of? And I receiving can- that too. That's one thing that I think we can, we can try to be vulnerable and open and then connect uh, with someone or with a group setting. But if it's not mutual, right, that can feel... That can feel harmful, right? That's the that's where you know you then all of a sudden pull back. Like I try to be open mm. with my story, with my narrative, and it wasn't received well, mm. um, and that can be really painful. So um, certainly, trying to be emotionally open and vulnerable in group settings. I mean that that feels more risky, mm. but it is key um, to to deepening yourself and growing. And again, I, you know, talking about our spiritual life, I mean, that I believe is the model, you know, presented to us in scripture, you know, talking about communities shouldn't just be um, for just simple fellowship, but those should be the spaces where you're experiencing grief and celebration with one another. It's a place where we should be spurring each other on, you know, towards maturity. Um, so that'd be a great question to ask yourselves. Are you actually experiencing that authentic, genuine community where you would feel safe? Um, and supported in that in that way. And then talk a little bit about like what does it mean to be emotionally healthy in our relationship with God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think there's a significant need for us to to know that we can be honest and vulnerable in our relationship with God. Um, I think a lot of that comes out in having a language of lament. Um, you see that a lot in the Psalms, which I know this podcast is a big fan of, the Ooh. Psalms. Um, and I think there's such power in knowing that in our relationship with God, so whether it's in our posture towards prayer or even when we come to church in a posture of worship, could we bring our full human existence? Even if that means that I am not in a place where I'm feeling joyful or I'm feeling the full you know, peace, or maybe I am feeling the weight of fears, or I'm feeling the weight of grief. Could I bring that to my prayer? Because you mentioned at one point where people feel like they can only really bring their best sacred self to God. <laughs> and I thought that was so interesting, that they can't really bring their messy, broken humanness, their humanity, but they, they come to church and they feel like they have to bring their holy, the holy version of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's this idea with a lot of churches where it's like, no, you can just leave all that life, that stuff in your life, just mm. leave that behind. Leave don't it even, at the door. Don't leave it at the door, mm. even come in with it. And I think we should be gracious about that and say, <laughs> no, bring that too. That's part of who you are. That's who part of what God created you to be is an emotional human with a complicated life. And uh, this is the place, this is a safe place for you to bear that and for maybe others to help you bear it and for you to bring it to God. Well, and there might be good news spoken over that. Yeah. Right? So you bring your brokenness, you bring your complex, messy world into worship. And, and the, the idea is that then God speaks over that and tells us that we're loved and that we're blessed and mm-hmm. that he's with us. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if you don't bring that part of yourself to worship, then when he says, I'm with you, or do not be afraid, or that you're blessed, it doesn't ring, it's not as resonant, because right. it's like, well... Hmm. Well, so. and I think that just can create this internal turmoil that you you are experiencing all these emotions, and you're processing all these things, but then when you feel like you can't bring it to the one who you know, loves you the most, and is the giver of grace, and you know, the giver of comfort... Uh, you know, I, I wonder if that the internal turmoil that that may bring, um, I can't 
think of how often I have heard people say like, well, I don't, I don't know what's the right thing to say when I pray. Or, you know, again, when they come to church, you know, they want to feel like they can fully participate with the joyful songs of worship. And yet that is so far from their reality. Um, and I just think, one, what a, what a lonely uh, existence that must be, you know, as they're carrying um, some, some hurt, some pain in their interior world, and they feel like they can't you know, bring that to the one place they should, right? And so those are those are some, you know, false, I think, messages. I don't know if the church is perpetuating that, um, if that's just some internal assumptions that people are bringing, like, oh, when I pray, it has to sound like this. So I often tell people, like, what would it look like for you just to be completely unedited, unfiltered in your prayer? Like, tell God everything and anything. Tell him how you really feel. <laughs> yeah, like really, I mean, yeah. you know, and I, I prompt people like, look to the Psalms, write a Psalm like David writes, a Psalm of lament. Like David is very honest. Um, Job is very honest. I mean, there's examples where they're, they're not filtered um, in their words. And so I really invite people, what would it look like for you to be just honest, um, you know, and with that's God? A, and that's a sign of emotionally healthy spirituality I is think to so. practice honesty about your feelings in your prayer life. Stop trying to hide that from God. I mean, he already knows. He does already know. He already knows you're angry, Matt. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> so you don't have to... And I've heard some people say, well, then if he already knows, why do I have to name it? I think that, there, again, it's the practice of naming it is one, again, acknowledging it for yourself, right? To be able to like name it, to honor it. But also I think the practice of naming it and bringing it to God in our prayers is a way like of us actually saying, I enjoyed with this. I entrust you. I, I really am going to be vulnerable and to name and to confess and um, to bring forward. I think too, in the worship setting, I invite people when you go to church, what if you don't want to sing that song that's talking about joy and praise at the time? What if you just were to stand there and just be in a posture of prayer and say, Lord, I'm hurting. Instead of putting on a false self because maybe you're worried that, Oh, someone's going to look at me and say, "Oh, why is why is she not singing that song today? Why are we so afraid to you know to be honest and authentic?" And I think church can that can feel like again a, a really lonely experience if we can't bring our grief, our hurt, our loneliness, our anger. Um, so that's you know some invitations I, I encourage people when it, when they think about you know engaging and approaching God uh, with emotional honesty, with emotional maturity is um, be vulnerable with him too. Because mm -hmm. I think that's a place where we, we do experience God's grace the most, right? Mm -hmm. when, we, when we bring our, our vulnerable selves, our honest selves, we feel the weight of grace, I think, even more. Mm -hmm. Kelly, what would you say to someone who's trying to gra uh, grapple with the difference between recognizing, experiencing emotions and processing them versus wallowing in them? Mm -hmm. So like... What do you say to the person who isn't sure whether they're in a place where they should be coming to church and not singing the songs, mm -hmm. or whether maybe is it time for them to try to sing the songs as mm -hmm. they you know process through? Like, what's what's the difference there? Do you have any suggestions on how people can kind of discern? Okay, like I know I'm sad, but I'm just now I'm wallowing mm -hmm. in my lament mm -hmm. rather than allowing God to lead me through that process. Mm. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. I think one, I think it is important that um, the church, uh, you know, what is being instructed and guided to us, you know, from our pastors that 
we're offering that guidance of what do you do mm. with those emotions. Um, so that's a question I ask of people, like, is your church modeling for you lament? You know, are they, are they teaching on it? Is that integrated into worship? Because I think when people are given those, that, that guidance to know maybe what to do with mm. those emotions that, um, you know, people would call heavy or hard, right? Um, that maybe aren't on the positive, you know, joyful side, but, you know. So I think one, do you even know what to do? with with those feelings so i think that would be one one thing mm. um the other thing raised the invitation of like then how you know are you practicing are you connecting in community um what is your prayer posture you know mm. um so part of maybe why someone may be wallowing or like feeling the residue right like mm. kind of remaining word, yeah. um in those emotions because we certainly don't want to invite people to go to a place of despair mm. and that right. that's the danger right if you just allow some of those emotions to exist on their own right um we don't want to re let someone remain there but again it's practicing the interior work of knowing yourself right doing some good processing there um, being in healthy community, and then knowing, does this person know that God welcomes that? So if a person is wallowing, that, that would be, some, again, that it's a sign that they're emotionally unhealthy. <laughs> so I would, I would... Aaron. <laughs> I, would, I would be asking them, what, what are the things that they are doing to try and process to give space, um, not with just themselves, but again, in community. And sometimes, again, someone's circumstance, they may benefit from having a mentor. They may benefit from meeting with a counselor. I mean, there are people who can specifically help someone navigate their, their emotional experience at that time. Um, so that would be some of the invitations, both for us as a church, I think what yeah. we, we can offer and then for us as individuals. I mean, that is one of the curious things about church. Like every week you kind of, we're not just inviting people to say things, we're like inviting to, to a kind of emotional <laughs> experience. Mm -hmm. And the way we, we sometimes think about services, we don't necessarily articulate this all the time, but there's, there's different elements. So like there's confession and there's assurance and those have different emotional weights and different things that are happening. And sometimes those happen within sentences of each other. But we are, it is interesting that we then invite people into a corporate emotional landscape, even as we're also inviting them to bring kind of their individual mm. emotional. And that's kind of a sacred and challenging thing, I think, to do well. Mm. So, Well, I feel like, I feel like we could have a part two to this. I mean, Matt just brought up a whole nother kind of realm of emotional, <laughs> even in corporate experiences. Mm -hmm. And sometimes calling people out of their, um, like wherever their emotional current state is, recognizing it, but also calling people to move through it or to adopt certain postures or practices to nurture other emotional states. I mean, it's kind of complicated. Like, we d we're emotional beings and we don't know what to do with that sometimes. So this is helpful, yeah. I think. If you yeah. feel, if you're out there listening today and you feel lost, <laughs> you don't know what to do with your emotions. Just give just Kelly know, a call. Yeah, <laughs> call Kelly. Call Kelly. Well, Kelly, thanks so much for joining us, and um, it was really great. And I feel like this is an area that I haven't really heard much about or heard people talk about mm -hmm. how to be emotionally healthy, and then how's that connected to our discipleship. So thanks. Mm -hmm. Thanks yeah. for inviting me to the conversation. I'm Sam. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And thanks for being curious with us.
If you want to send us or leave us feedback, you can do so on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash curiouschurch, or email us at curiouschurch at grantsprings.org. And if you want to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store, we always appreciate that too. Hey, this is Sam. I've written some books and uh, a little bit of curriculum stuff. You can just find it on Amazon.com. Just search for my name, Sam Gutierrez. Hi, this is Aaron. I've written several songs based on the Psalms, as well as a hymns album that you can find on my website, which is haveaseatmusic.com, or at the usual places you find music like Spotify or iTunes. Much of it is free, I think, so please listen and enjoy. Thanks. If you want to find links to Sam's books or Aaron's music or Matt's blog, you can find that in the show notes for this episode.